0: Hello St. Clair, good morning um, or whenever you find yourself listening to this. Uh, My name is Amy Knox and I am privileged to be able to share uh, a reflection this morning on Psalm 95. Throughout the summer, we have been meandering our way through the Psalms, um, hearing from different people in our community, and it's been such a pleasure and a blessing to hear from other people. Um, We've heard many things. We've heard about the art of confession, uh, the need for community. We've heard about God's faithfulness and how He delivers us out of His love and His kindness, and about how our ability to rest is because in Him and through Him, we have everything we need. And this theme throughout the summer of trust has been woven through um, how we trust and believe God and His character are enough um, is a foundation to the type of relationship the psalmist had uh, with God and the type of relationship that we're invited to. Um, so Psalm 95 extends that invitation to move deeper into the relationship that he offers us, um, to a place where we hear and are led by the voice of the father or the shepherd. And this is maybe classically called discernment or being led by the spirit. Um, And it's a foundational practice in a cultural moment that is full of information, full of unknowns, um, and full of just really strong culture that pulls us in different directions. In Ephesians 4, Paul marks discernment as a, a mark of maturity in Christ saying uh, when we are mature, we will no longer be tossed to and fro by the waves. Um, And so what I think Psalm 95 offers us is that discernment is rooted not in actually how we seek the answers or seek to have the right information or right perspective, but it's actually in how we seek God for himself, how we seek to be in relationship with him. I think what we see is that discernment is rooted in trust and the trust that we have in God's character. So let's read Psalm 95 together. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song, for the Lord is the great God, the great King above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth, and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, for he has made it, and his hands formed the dry land. Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker." For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. Today, if you would hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah, as you did that day at Massa in the wilderness, where your ancestors tested me. They tried me, though they had seen what I did. For 40 years, I was angry with that generation. I said, they are a people whose hearts go astray, and they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. So earlier this summer, uh, Mark Standish shared that the Psalms are an art form, um, that highlight a part or um, explore a part of the human experience. And often the Psalms were used in community, uh, whether in the temple or in celebrations and festivals of the people of Israel. And Psalm 95 is no exception to this. It's considered a royal psalm, which is to say that its intended purpose was to exalt the Lord as the King of Israel. So the people would have sung these words or recited these words to remind themselves and each other that God was their king, to remind themselves of God's character. And I think what we see in the contrasting nature of the first and the second halves of the psalm is this snapshot into the human experience of the choice that we have in the way that we approach God and our relationship with Him. So let's look at the first part of this psalm. Um, we see the psalmist highlights three distinct characteristics of God. In the first three verses, we see this emphatic invitation to sing for joy and shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. And this imagery of the rock of our salvation brings to mind for me a strength or a consistency, an unmovableness maybe. And in this way, I think the psalmist is pointing to the steadfast nature of God as a reason to praise him. Um, in this steadfastness makes him the great king, the king above all kings that we see uh, in verse 3. Then we see the psalmist point to God's omnipresence as a characteristic worthy of praise, um, a part of what makes him the king of kings. In verse 4 and 5, we see um, the psalmist talk about God being present at the depths of the earth and at the peaks of the mountain because he has made it all. And this These verses to me mirror uh, the verses in Psalm 139, where David says of God, uh, speaks of him being kind of inescapable, saying, where can I go from your presence? And that notion to me growing up was always one associated with fear, kind of like a, you can't hide from me, I'm everywhere kind of thinking. Um That I think that might be a common thing that those of us who have grown up in the church um, would carry. But in the recent years, God has revealed to me the grace and the comfort that come um, in this side of God's face. So rather than being anxiety inducing, I can now read these words with the comfort of his presence never leaving me because of his great love for me that even those things that I might wish to hide um, or that I feel like change my standing with God, they just don't because He loves me. Um, I know that His presence is always there and that I can come into it or into awareness of it with all of my stuff and still be loved. The third characteristic we see uh, the psalmist highlight is the relational side of God's face. So in verse 6 and 7, we see that we are his people, chosen and created, and that we are under his care. And in John 10, we see Jesus using this same imagery. He says that we are his sheep, who he calls by name, and that his sheep Hear the shepherd's voice. And maybe this is a hard imagery uh, or analogy for us to comprehend uh, the level of trust that a sheep has in his shepherd. Uh, but a few weeks back, Andrew Klumpenhauer tried to paint this the picture of this relationship. Um, out of Psalm 23. So I'd encourage you to go back and listen to that. Um, But he really explained how the sheep is just guided by the shepherd. He doesn't think about the discipline or um, the path that he's on because he knows the shepherd is caring for us. And so in this imagery, we see God as a relational being. We know that he created us for his good pleasure And that his pleasure is to be in relationship with us. We see this in the very character of him being a triune God. That he is family. He is relationship. He he can't not be. It just is who he is. And I think the progression we see in the way that this psalm was written is so beautiful. First, we see that God is constant, unmovable, unmovable. Then we see that he is present to all of creation and that this constant presence is rooted in a love, uh, the love that he has for his creation, a love that because of his consistency and the constancy of his character, a love that cannot fail and cannot be changed, and that out of that love he desires to be in relationship with us. Do we believe that? A.W. Tozer says that what comes to mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And I think that this is so important because what we think about God, how we trust in his character, determines how we can respond to the invitation that he is offering us, the invitation of relationships. In this psalm, in the second part of verse seven, we see this invitation being, if only you would hear his voice. And so I think what we see the psalmist establishing is that hearing God's voice is rooted in relationship and that our relationship is rooted in the trust of his character. A character, again, that is constant and powerful enough to create and be present to all he created, but also tender enough to offer us relationship in a way that is close enough for us to hear his voice. So, if he is offering us this, inviting us into a deeper and closer relationship, how do we make the move? towards him to develop our discernment or the way that we hear his voice. I think Psalm 95 offers us two postures that we can take. This is the the human experience, the choice that we have um, between these two postures. So the first is in verse 6. Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. Um, So this is a humble posture, a posture of kneeling in trust. And I think what we see in this psalm, the psalmist inviting us into is that there are ways to help us remain in that posture Um, sing for joy, shout aloud, uh, practice thanksgiving and extolling him with music and praise. What we see here is the psalmist urging the people to find ways of reminding themselves of who God is and who he has been. Through praise and thanksgiving and storytelling, we help ourselves to keep His character in our consciousness. And this gives us a framework for evaluating those voices we hear, the cultural pulls, the narratives that are all around us that are counter to the narrative of God. And then when, because when we know the character of God, We can trust him and we can recognize his voice. Ruth Haley Barton uh, is an author and spiritual leader who describes discernment as the movement from seeing things merely from a human perspective to seeing things from a spiritual vantage point, continually looking for evidence of the work of God in order to join him in it. And she notes that as we develop this attentiveness to God's heart uh, and to his purposes in any given situation, we become familiar with the tone and quality and content of God's voice. And so this is why we sing. It's why we have prayer groups and missional families. It's to practice becoming more aware of where he is at work so that we can become more familiar with the tone and the content of his voice. And the reason that practicing this in community and in family is so important is because those things are at the heart of God. He is relational. He wants to be in relationship with us. And and because we're created in his image, we are created to be in relationship with other people. And a big part of that is that we are better at helping each other remember God's character, at reminding each other of who he is and who he has been than we are doing it alone. The second posture we see the psalmist. Um, highlight as a choice is one of hard hearts. And so the psalmist uh, references this moment in Israel's history. You can look at it in Exodus 17. Uh, But what is happening in this moment is Israel is quarreling with Moses because they are angry with God. So they are into the desert, but, and they've been delivered, but things are not going how they expected. Uh, They are facing some really real felt needs. So far in their history, God has provided. He's made a way through the Red Sea. Um, He's provided food daily, manna that falls from heaven. Uh, Exodus even references that while the Israelites are on this journey in the desert, miraculously, their clothes and their shoes are not wearing out. And this is the care that God has given to them. Um, out of his goodness, but they've not remembered his character. And so they're really struggling to trust him. Uh, Verse nine says, they tried me though they had seen what I did. Um, And so God had miraculously delivered the Israelites, but they often chose not to see the deliverance in a way that inspired them to trust God in the present. And how often is that me? Left to my own devices, I become somewhat cognizant of the ways that God has been present, of how his love is redeeming real and tangible things in my life and in the lives of those around me but then a real felt need arises and so easily the past blurs and I slip into this doubt or questioning of God's character of love and his presence and care for me. And in Psalm 95, we see that this posture towards God leads us to a wandering and to a lack of rest, a restlessness that I think we see all around us. And so this contrast of these two postures um, that I mentioned earlier is where I think we see the highlighting of the reality of our human experience. It highlights the choice that we are faced with every day in how we trust God on a regular basis, this choice becomes really hard or confusing as we're pulled by the many realities of our broken world. And so we have this choice of trust, but in our brokenness and our desire for things to be finite and understandable, we face the temptation to reduce our relationship with God to the things that we need from Him or the things that we want Him to do. And when we get to this place, and we all do from time to time, we can often find that seeking God for what he is saying or how he is leading becomes an exercise in frustration because our hearts are not actually soft enough to recognize his voice. And so it's in these two opposing postures that I think we see that discernment or hearing the voice of God is less about seeking the answers, less about seeking the things we need, though we have needs, and more about seeking him and his heart and his character and leaning into trust. We see that when we're in a season of a lack of answers and we start to focus on what we don't know or only seek God for our answers, our hearts become hard. But when we focus on his heart, and his character, and the faithfulness that he has shown us with the aim of simply being in relationship with him, this is when we find we can seek and find in the way that Jesus talked about, when we can knock and find the door opens before us. And this is certainly not to say focus on the good things of God and everything will be easy or you'll always have a clear path before you. As we've explored the Psalms this summer, we have been reminded that at least a third of the Psalms are lament. And so we can expect that there will be lament and hardship and disappointment. Um, But there is certainly comfort in knowing that God is constant and that he is present And that he desires relationship and to speak to us. But hearing God's voice is not just for our own comfort. In 1 John 2 verse 6, we see that as his disciples, we are invited to live as Jesus lived. And so when we look to Jesus' life, we see that he maintains the rhythms that keep his heart soft and open to what the Father is saying. Jesus speaks of being one with the Father and that he can only do what the Father is doing. And so we see this intimate communication. And if we see that Jesus needed this in his life in the flesh, how can we then, as not yet fully redeemed disciples, living in the broken and fallen world, how could we expect that we would need anything less than Jesus? In order to be able to move into joining in on the kingdom mission of making disciples of all nations, we need to be able to recognize and hear the voice of the good shepherd. So what are the practices that help us with this movement that Ruth Haley Barton was talking about, the movement towards the God perspective of life that keeps our heart soft and close, close enough to hear? Well, Psalm 95 clearly calls us to praise, uh, to practice thanksgiving. We see that in the first couple of verses. And then in verse four and five, we see the psalmist recalling the stories of God. And we've talked about the importance of practicing these things, not just on our own, but in community and in family because of the challenge it can be for us to shift our perspective on our own. So at St. Clair, this looks like missional families, prayer groups. Uh, It looks like our summer of telling the stories of what God is doing in and among us. And if you haven't engaged with those yet, I really encourage you to. They're available on our YouTube channel. Um, Go back and listen and watch those and, and allow them to encourage you and to help move you to see what God sees and what He is doing. In our media family, <clears throat> we have practiced something we call dinner time thankfulnesses, um where each of us recalls our day searching for the things we can be thankful to God for. And this is a really simple way of practicing a uh, a light version of the examine prayer that we so you could practice this with your missional family or with your family or your housemates um and What we have found is that other people's perspective of thankfulness is specifically our kids' perspective is often so poignant in helping Dave and I to open our hearts again to the character of God. Very personally, the practicing God's perspective and an openness to his will begins for me uh, with practicing silence. In the quiet and stillness, aiming to be present to God for who he is and letting him be present to me just for the sake of relationship opens up my perspective to God's perspective of who I am and what is going on in the world and around me. In this space of allowing him to be him, what happens is his truth of his character, um, of who he calls me, those thing, that voice begins to drown out the other voices in the culture, in my head, the ones that pull me in different directions or question my identity or my gifts. And I can personally attest that my heartfelt participation in each of these things that I've mentioned, personally in my immediate family and in the St. Clair family, has transformed many areas of my life. Maybe most specifically, it's transformed my ability to be present with my kids. uh, And while I'm doing that, to listen to how God is leading, I can then respond to his voice and the nudge of the spirit to their emotions and their needs. And I can offer them what the father offers me, which is relationship and understanding and grace it allows me to discipline out of love rather than out of my own selfish perspective. And how I practice this with my kids on a daily basis expands my ability to practice it with my family and my friends and my neighbors. And this is the invitation we're given into the kingdom of God. And the more we practice, the better at it we become. The more we can recognize God's voice and allow him to transform our hearts and minds, the more impact we have for the kingdom. So if I look at this psalm in my old Bible, um, I have the word surrender written next to it as a way to summarize the posture that the psalmist is calling God's people to so that they can hear his voice. And surrender requires trust. And what I found in my life is that And what I see in the art of Psalm 95 is that trusting God begins with his character and moves out to his voice and his actions. Before I can step out into what he is calling me to do and who he's calling me to be, I need to recognize his voice. And to do so, I need to know his character And this posture of surrender is what we see Jesus take in the garden where he says, not my will, but yours be done, even as he's staring down the cross. And so if we don't follow Jesus in that posture, if we don't start here with surrender and a trust that leads us to the intention of actually responding to God's voice, I think we'll find we have a hard time hearing and recognizing the voice even to begin with. So St. Clair, beloved family in Christ, this week I encourage you to consider his character. Do you trust it? Do you trust him? How can you remind yourself of who he is to grow that trust? Maybe you explore the Psalms some more. They're full of descriptions of his character. Or read the stories of God's people, both in scripture and in history. Or maybe asking your friends and family and Mishfam, who has God been to you and what is he speaking to you? And let these truths become the foundation of the trust that you need to open your heart, to surrender your plans, and to respond to his leading. And then take time to listen, asking him what he sees in you and what he sees in your life and how he is leading you to respond to him and to his love and his invitation of relationship in this upcoming season. Be blessed, St. Clair.